1: Welcome to The Firing Line. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, and Financial Advisors, Cutting Edge Bullets for When You Care Enough to Send the Very Best, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, by Evolution Sports in Redlands, and Vortex Optics, Vortex, the Force of Optics. And now your host, Philip Naaman. Good.
2: Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. You can check us out on our Facebook page at Firing Line Radio Show. Also on our website, FiringLineRadio.com. And you want to do that because you can get the podcast. And every time we give out podcasts or you subscribe to our podcasts, you're going to get some great shows, including this one. Now, this show has actually been a long time coming. You actually saw me... Uh, advertising it on our Facebook page and put a little teaser out there because my special guest this particular issue is Sheriff Stan Sniff of Riverside County and I put a little teaser on the Facebook page that we were going to give away a couple of free CCWs on on the call (laughs) in on the show here (laughs) maybe it was a rumor (laughs) but but, uh, Sheriff Sniff thank you very much for joining me on the show
3: my pleasure to be with you here today
2: now you've been the sheriff for Riverside County for 10 years
3: yeah, this fall in uh, October, it'll be 10 years.
2: An Enjoyable walk in the park, uh, vacation time?
3: Um, sometimes, but most often times <laughs> it's been a little bit of a challenge from one year to the next.
2: I, I totally understand that. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in law enforcement in general?
3: Well, I started out as a, uh, as a volunteer on a small uh, city police department out in the Coachella Valley, out near Palm Springs, and it uh, uh, took him a while to get me to uh, end up coming out on a ride-along and uh, once I did it, uh, I was pretty much hooked like many people were, the, the adrenaline surges and that stuff. And I was in my mid-20s when I started, and uh, I was working on my dad's ranch. And then my dad was uh, getting irritated because I was riding almost every night after that first uh, opportunity to ride along. It was like riding with a fighter pilot, working in the wee hours. So I was staying up all night riding along and sleeping all day instead of working on my dad's Dayton Citrus Ranch. And he said, you know what, Uh, are you working for me, or what are you doing? And I said, that's a good idea. So I went to work full-time in the summer of 1975 with the city of Coachella's police department, Uh, was shipped to the San Bernardino uh, County Sheriff's Academy and graduated uh, a few months later from that, and then uh, worked for that police department for about— four years, rose to the rank of sergeant. And, and you're from
2: Coachella. Coachella?
3: I was actually from the Indio area. I grew up in the old Indio, Palm Desert, Quinta area. So Coachella kind of butts up against the, the city of Indio. So that whole area I'd been around by my whole life, but it was never with an interest to go into law enforcement. So that was really, for me, purely by accident. Like most of us in our 20s, you don't know what you're going to do. I Much thought happens. I'd be in farming because my, my family had been in the farming date and citrus business for half a half a century. They were early uh, pioneers out there in the Coachella Valley. So I had no predisposition whatsoever to go into law enforcement. So actually, this whole career of now over four decades has been by accident.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pretty successful accident. So congratulations on that. So then in 1979, you left Coachella and joined the...
3: Yeah, I started over as a deputy sheriff again, uh, working my way up through the ranks out of the old Indio station, which now has been re- replaced by two sheriff stations, uh, Thermal and, and palm desert out there, a testament to also the growth that our county and particularly the Coachella Valley's had. Worked there for a number of years, and then, uh, like most of us that work for uh, the larger uh, forms of government, in my case, Riverside County, I got uh, moved geographically across Riverside County. So I actually worked out in the southwest uh, Temecula, uh, Marietta area, uh, worked in the Banning uh, Pass, Sangronial Pass, worked in there for a while, did work in the Coachella Valley up to the rank of lieutenant. And then worked in the Riverside area. So I've kind of popped back and forth geographically all over the county in a variety of assignments.
2: Oh, Riverside County is very, very varied. It's extremely varied uh, in the geography. You have, you know, from Corona to the Colorado River.
3: Right. Most of the urban areas are on the west end along the 15 and 215 corridors. Uh, but the whole county is huge. It's about 7,300 square miles, about uh, roughly the size of, uh, and land mass of uh, the state in New Jersey. Uh, we're now at about 2.4 million uh, folks. Uh, so that makes us right now the 10th most populous county anywhere in the United States. So it's a kind of a, a challenge for any of us overseeing government, including law enforcement, over such a big area.
2: Now, Sheriff, uh, as a sheriff, you are a little bit different type of law enforcement officer. You're actually a constitutional officer.
3: Right. The, the sheriff and the DA in California, and it varies differently probably from some of the states uh Back east, where in some cases, sheriffs are actually appointed officials. Some of them under the penal code are not even...
2: I remember that boss hog from Dukes of Hazzard.
3: (laughs) Some (laughs) are not even considered peace officers under the penal code in in some of the states on the east coast. Here in California, there are constitutional officers that work for all the public that we serve. In my case, all 2.4 million folks I work for, even if they have their own great police department like the city of Riverside, they all select the sheriff. And the reason is the office of sheriff actually touches every single human being inside that that county, uh, whether it's in jail operations that we oversee by law, court security that we oversee by law, uh, certainly patrol operations. And then in our case, uh, I'm also the coroner public administrator, uh, just like John McMahon here is in San Bernardino County. And most of the counties in California, uh, the 58, probably 47, 48 of them now are shared coroner uh, sheriff responsibilities. Smaller departments merged under a bigger one. So it's got a lot of moving parts, um, I work uh, alongside a, a great board of supervisors like all the other sheriffs do, um, but the sheriff is does not take direction or the DA from the board of supervisors. They have certain ministerial functions on pay and benefits and that type of stuff, but it really walls off the politics, and that's where that constitutional officer plays such a, a key role. Very, very important because I answer to the public. Now, the board of supervisors for each of the counties has absolute fiduciary power, over the, over the taxpayer power, dollars, right. yes, so they definitely have the power to add and subtract the power of the purse, so to speak, uh, money to our budgets, uh, but it really walls off a lot of the politics, and that's part of the checks and balances in our criminal justice system. We all work really well together, but it's important for us to stand to the plate and talk truth to power as well as when they're making those fiscal decisions
2: now i i actually i was so excited about speaking with you here this morning that i jumped right over our other guest who's sitting in here i didn't, <laughs> I didn't even introduce him i apologize for that vincenzo sure, sure. vincenzo torolini of bullseye sports here the uh, cuban italian stallion how are you doing vince
4: mm-hmm. oh how's it going phil doing good
2: now you two are actually been friends for quite a long period of time right you yes. and sheriff sniff yes
4: yeah he uh he comes to my store quite often and uh i help we, support him yeah he supports <laughs> my store. Uh, actually his old department does and uh I also support their uh, the department, especially our, their K nine. I also go a lot to their K nine. Vince uh, is one of our wards. we have. <laughs> <laughs> he's <Yeah>. my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, definitely Stan Smith is a good man.
2: Well, what's interesting to me is, is he comes in and he shops and he's accessible.
3: Usually in jeans and a t shirt too. Yes. So,
4: <laughs> in fact, uh, undercover. And when when we we have our our um, NRA once a month meeting you're sitting there next thing you know he's sitting next to you listening to whoever's there speaking so yes he is uh, very accessible
2: that's awesome and thanks for joining us here vince sorry you're about welcome. that i didn't that's to okay. get you introduced earlier all right. now um
4: i'll charge you later
2: <laughs> yeah there goes my discount Gosh. there you go <laughs> <All right. laughs> one of the things that we've seen a lot in california is a rise in crime property crime. Now, I blame this squarely on the shoulders of the wonderful people who voted for uh, Prop 47 and 57 thinking that their little dime baggie of marijuana was going to be free and there would be no repercussions on that. What have you seen as far as that type of activity, crime wave, if you will?
3: Well, I, I think all of us uh, across particularly Southern California, but really all across California have seen a uh, rising incidence in, in crime. And I think A lot of it, and I spend a lot of time out with with the public, um, kind of on the accessibility uh, comment that Vince made. Uh, I've logged about 300,000 miles, so I stay nonstop in touch, and there's a lot of angst out there in the public. Even if they're served by a great agency at one of our allied police departments, there is just a lot of fear factor. And a lot of it's due to some of the policies the state's had, not holding people accountable, decriminalizing a lot of actions, and a lot of concern right now about overcrowded prisons and certainly county jails, uh, dumping people back out the street. And as we were talking about in the ante room there a little bit, it's it's almost where California has, where it was too tough maybe at one point. Uh, and, and I would agree with that, that it did get too carried away. But at this point, there's a lot of concern about people not being held accountable because we've gotten maybe far too easy. And most of us in law enforcement know it's not one or the other. There's got to be some kind of a so-called sweet spot in the middle where you're firm enough that you end up having some kind of a deterrent effect. And I think what all of us have seen and what's been echoed out there in the general public now ever since realignment was passed in 2011 is California has veered too far to the the left side, so to speak, and and basically not holding people accountable and looking for ways to not have them in custody.
2: Now, my understanding with with the the robbery limits, something has to be over a certain amount, that... You could steal a glock twenty one worth about five fifty or so walk outside and be arrested on the sidewalk given a citation to show up in court because it was under nine hundred dollars I mean it th- that is ridiculous. You can have firearm theft that is a citation, and I know this is not the sheriff's fault. I, I get that, but this is the frustration that the people see then when criminals continue in their behavior unabated right. and, and those of us who are law abiding citizens, we're like a long list of victims and by the time a guy finally, finally does something so egregious that he's in jail there are 40, 50, 100 victims in line of that one person and that's where as citizens of California we need to hold our representatives accountable to fix this because crime is free right now and we are paying the bill Philip and Firing Line Radio Show, we'll be right back after this
5: A message from Vince, the owner of Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for
4: hunting, home defense, or recreational shooting, it is important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. We highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training class, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essentials to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense, and with that right comes an obligation to educate
5: yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. For information about certified firearm training classes, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside at 951 823 or check out their schedule of classes at BullseyeSport.com. Because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, we believe in safety first. 823-0211 823-0211
1: Pull! the answer this portion of the firing line is brought to you by bullseye sports in riverside and cutting-edge bullets for when you care enough to send the very best
2: all right you primitive
4: screwheads, listen up see this this is my boomstick
2: that's right folks it's boomstick radio but you already knew that because you're a regular listener of the firing line radio show And you also know every week we're going to talk about the latest in firearms, hunting, gun rights, and everything else afforded to all Americans under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. And you should also know, by now, that our faithful companion in this is Vincenzo Torrellini, Vince Torres of Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside. You've heard me talk about the Firing Line Gun of the Month Challenge. Now, we created this a couple of years ago because there was a threat in Sacramento to only allow you to purchase one firearm per month. They just brought that out again this year, all right? So instead of taking it as a threat, we take it as a challenge. We want you to to buy at least (laughs) one firearm per month. And so Vince has had a, a special every single month here since last July, and the April gun of the month, this is no April Fool's now. The April gun of the month is the S&W Shield, either a 9mm or 440 caliber for just four oh nine. There's also going to
4: be a rebate on that, right, Vince? Right. There's going to be a Smith & Wesson will give you a $75 rebate.
2: Seven, that almost covers sales tax in California. Bullseye Sports in Riverside, where the Inland Empire gets their guns and ammo, 951-823-0211. That's a 9mm or forty caliber Shield for four oh nine and a $75 rebate from Smith & Wesson. It don't get no better than that. Vince, thank you very much. Thank you. Folks, uh, I have Sarah Stan Sniff here also with me on the air. And we were just talking about uh, the crime wave, the property crime wave that we've seen here in Southern California and the lack of... the, The...
3: accountability lack,
2: accountability thank yeah. you for repeat offenders and
3: yeah and, and one of the most graphic examples in, in the last segment that uh, that you see that frustrates business owners and and you got to remember business owners when they find a shoplifter that may be one out of a hundred that they finally end up finding doing that so it's it is a big deal and it's one of those low level deterrent effects that prevents somebody from sometimes by that early interdiction or, or intervention prevents them from going on to more serious including violent crimes and so the property crimes we've been seeing have been stirring going forward, obviously. But uh, one of the other indirect uh, implications of that non-accountability is we've seen violent crimes start going up as well, which didn't surprise any of us in the criminal justice system. But one of the most telling things that you hear all the time is somebody can go in and shoplift again and again and again and again. And maybe each time they are written a citation, <clears throat> we used to take them to jail. And the jail being booked into used to have at least have a deterrent effect on many of these low-level offenses.
2: They would lose their booster stash, whatever yeah. they had on them. At the least.
3: citations stack because then they don't show up in court. Uh, it takes, for many of our jails, because they're so overcrowded, it takes you 12 to 15 warrants before you'll actually ever be booked into jail. So when people sense that they can do that over and over again, including multiple shopliftings, and there is no impact on them whatsoever – that cycle continues unabated, and we end up paying the price as a community.
2: We see we see news stories where people have been arrested 42 times, 63 times. You know, is this like a record? I mean, do they get an award for how many times they've been arrested? Well, I'll
3: tell you right now, along with the national discourse that has the last few years has beat up on law enforcement across the nation, I think the frustration you'll see, regardless of whether you're wearing all tan uniforms or, or LAPD blue or tan and green or the sheriff's office, the officers on the street are arresting the same people over and over and over again without any any impact on change in behavior. We
2: have a small subset of criminals that commit the vast majority of all crimes, but the state of California has insisted on keeping them on the streets it, it's ridiculous. Now, my understanding is that Rudy Giuliani took the opposite effect, opposite uh, action in the state of New York, where they, or city of New York, where they focused on the low level of crimes. They put away the squeegee men first. Yeah. And they had a huge revival in the city of New York. Crime was basically disappearing. Now, under the last couple of, of governors and mayors, uh, they're going backwards in a big way back to their own way but you have to focus on the small things and here's one thing that i don't think people understand that's the cost of shoplifting there's a store a grocery store in the city of redlands that i know the managers very well and they we talk and one of the things that happens is people go in and they load up shopping carts full of alcohol or full of baby um, formula high dollar items wheel them out the door Mm -hmm. Now they don't have security there. So no one's there to tackle them unless there's a civilian that wants to get in the way, but they just wheel them out the door and go. They were talking about over a thousand dollars a day in loss at that one store. Well, that particular grocery store is not going to go out of business. So who pays that extra money, right? every single person who shops at that store has to pay the bill for that cretin that grabbed something and ran out the door so you all of you all of your costs in california you want to know why food costs so much why everything costs so much you're paying for what somebody else stole you're the end user of all products you bear the cost for their bad behavior
3: well it goes beyond even that here's probably a little known fact that uh for many, many years was on the books, and when I was working on the street as a young officer, I enforced this as well. But it, it used to be, until we we changed some of these uh, these laws, particularly after Prop 47 kicked in and decriminalized a lot of this stuff, entry into any building with the intent to take something, no matter how what the value was, was a burglary. That was right. a felony. Used to be. It used to be. And so— that was a good tool because when somebody's using a booster bag or some other thing, there was ways to find that. That wasn't a normal shoplifter that, on the spur of the moment, took a pack of gum or something like that. Right. Most of those it wasn't known a writer. Exactly, most of those were actually <laughs> citations anyway. The, the reality was many of these people were professionals, like you said. Maybe not on that scale, like you, like we see sometimes at the at the premium outlets and some of the other big shopping centers where you have teams of people come in right. that are rating not just one store but multiple stores, and it's a big game with them but they're entering those buildings with the intent to take either low level or high level merchandise but that intent used to make that a felony and that's no longer the case now and it's unfortunate because many of those people are, are they're not only criminals on impulse there they're really criminals long term right. and they run unabated on that and that's it does nice cost thing. everybody not just the store owner it costs everybody a lot of money to do this
2: yeah. Now, one other thing I want to touch on, real quick. You brought up, I was completely unaware of this, but there's a new code that you have to live under as a sheriff, uh, number 953.
3: Right.
2: <laughs> you can hear just the energy, just want to talk about that. Not
3: just the sheriffs, so all the police departments police in California departments. And, and law enforcement agencies. Wow, just so in by, California. By, just in California. It's California law. And AB 953 uh, actually became law, and that's the Racial Identity and Profiling Act. Uh, and part of that required the attorney general over the last year to create a committee of uh, civilians and citizens, a few officers on it, but not very many. And uh, that, that committee has recently created, and I responded to it, it's on our website as far as uh, my opposing letter and most of the agencies, the other great departments uh, that are big that are going to be impacted next January. Any of our departments in California that have 1,000 sworn officers or more start having to do this next January.
2: How many sworn officers do you have?
3: I have 2,000 sworn officers and another 900 correctional. I have about 4,000, a little less than 4,000 employees now. But in any case, the big agencies are going to be hit. But every single agency in California by 2022 will end up having to implement it. Those proposed regulations, and I, I stress proposed, because I and others have have written letters opposing this, require some 200 data elements every time our officers end up coming in contact with somebody. Could be a vehicle stop, could be a pedestrian check, could be a suspicious person, could be end up on a gang detail where they do a pedestrian check. But every time we detain somebody. The data elements are almost 200 that have been proposed by this group. So you on have to every answer every single incident.
2: They have to answer those questions.
3: All those questions, including what, what uh, religion they guesstimate uh, the individual is. And most of it is speculation. And and the idea, unfortunately, will require us, our officers from all our communities, to spend anywhere from 15 minutes to 45 minutes each time they contact a human being on that. And so what you're going to see is like we're hearing a lot about Chicago now with crime out of control and homicides, and where the 60 Minutes program outlined that those police officers now are no longer interfacing into the community. They've backed off and are only responding to calls. We call that in our, in our profession de-policing, that's what we probably will see in California. So hope uh, hope to goodness that everybody uh, ends up ha- talking to their legislature, particularly the Attorney General's office, because if those regulations stand as proposed uh, to implement that law, it's going to be bad, bad times in California. So let's just take
2: the, uh, the lovely little city here of uh, San Bernardino. There um, many friends on the department here, and... They, they tell me, this, my gosh, you know, we felt bad before when we'd come onto a shift and we're down 20 minutes on calls. It says now we're, we feel bad when we come onto a shift and we're answering yesterday's calls. Right. Now, what about... What about every single call is adding 45 more minutes of paperwork? And who, who wants this, the ACLU? Why? Because they're lining up for lawsuits. So you're going to find a guy who, let's just say it's one particular officer who works one particular area, and that, there's a very heavy demographic in that area. They're, they're going to isolate this man as a racist because he's only stopping and identifying the people who live in that particular area. Well, well, that's,
3: well a, that's a concern of officers everywhere across right. California.
2: Folks, this is Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. We'll be right back here with Sheriff Stan Sniff and Vincenzo Torolini, Bullseye
0: Sports, (laughs) after this. Enter.
1: This portion of the firing line is brought to you by the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, by Evolution Sports in Redlands, and CCW Safe.
0: Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persia! Come and get them!
2: That's right, folks. on Lave Saturday. This is Philip Naaman here with Vince Torres of Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, corner of Brockton and Central, 951... Eight two I can't believe I had that, didn't have it memorized here. It's number two on my no, speed no, dial. It, yeah,
4: it's only five years later. and You still don't know. It,
2: <laughs> it is. It's going to be five years this July. Yeah. Five years. Five
4: years. Awesome.
2: I also have with me Sheriff Stan Sniff. Sheriff Stan Sniffs, first time appearance on this show. Thank you very much for joining us again today. My pleasure. Very, very busy schedule. Um, some of the things that we're facing in law enforcement, and yes, those of you who are listening with bated breath, we are going to talk about CCWs but you have to wait a little bit more so it's out there we will get to that but we want to talk about what is going on with law enforcement and the challenges that that law enforcement officials are facing in trying to protect us the citizens as best they can ab 109 was one of these uh wonderful gifts from the california legislature to the citizens of california how has that affected riverside county
3: it has uh, impacted everybody across uh, California, and, and the roots of that for your for your listeners are, are kind of interesting because um, and, and those issues that started in 2011 when when realignment was passed uh, and then took effect, and then was followed by by 47 and then 57, have kind of had a, a continuous progression of impacting law enforcement here in California and making our jobs more and more difficult. But there's a couple of things uh, that everybody needs to remember about 2011. There were two great things that came together in a confluence in that year, one of which was, if everybody remembers, the state was hemorrhaging red ink. They were running massive budget deficits, so they didn't have enough money to cover all their operations. And that's a critical thing that everybody needs to understand about why California is in the place that it is. Because many of these decisions were not about public safety policy. They were more about economics and not having enough money. That drove a lot of, of the creation of AB 109. The other thing that landed at the same time was the state had been sued in the state prison system. And you got to remember, our corrections are two-tiered. The state prison always held the more serious offenders. They were all 100% convicted for everything all the way up through capital offenses. Uh, But felonies and and everything, uh, normally sentenced if it was one year or more up to the state prison system for all our communities. County jails are different than state prison, and I hear a lot of people using those words interchangeably. That's the very front end of the criminal justice system, and that's where people are booked in. In our county jails, like Riverside County jails, uh, two-thirds of the inmates are awaiting trial. That's why jails are co-located with the courts, because there's an ebb and flow But a lot of people confuse those two. And now together, after AB 109, they're merged a bit. So the other thing that occurred was the state was sued in its state prison system for unconstitutional conduct on medical and mental health. Remember, a lot of inmates were dying.
2: Well, Those, they weren't doing enough sex changes, apparently,
3: for, <laughs> for murderers. But we've got that fixed I'm not going to touch on yes, the S. That, that is fixed. But, yeah. but they did have a movie. lot of...
2: Now that guy, who who the murderer uh-huh. who sued for the sex now he's suing because he wants mascara and lipstick. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Serious. I'm not going to touch that one. But, but the bottom line is they had not built, at that time, by 2011 and the decade prior, they had not built any new prison capacity. So by holding the line and passing new laws every year and criminalizing more and more like we see each year thereafter or increasing the penalties, they'll so-called get tough, the legislature did not deal with a balanced system. So you had badly overcrowded state prisons. You had this uh, economic issue where they were bleeding red ink and, and budget deficits at the state. The, the idea came together saying, let's triage this and only hold the worst offenders in the state prison and we'll end up having newly people, new people sentenced into the county jails. If they stay where they used to only be able to stay a year, if they're going to stay and we're going to go to state prison, if it's a property crime, we'll end up having them stay in the county jail on our local nickel. And so AB 109 caused everybody after October 1st, 2011, if they were sentenced to state prison for a low level offense, they didn't go there. They went to the county jail, basically turning our county jails in California into mini prisons. Now, the idea was, the great myth was they'd only stay there for up to three years in these facilities that were designed people that were sentenced to county jail for up to one year, town drunks and that sort of thing, misdemeanants, typically. And so what happened was many of our jails were already under federal court orders for overcrowding because the jail capacities in Riverside County and L.A. and and many other counties had not kept up with the growth that with we population saw. population growth. Exactly. And so they were behind. They were all trying to chip at it and do a good job. But it basically took, in our case, a full glass of water, a county jail that was badly overcrowded, and then all these other inmates. So today in Riverside County, one-fifth of our inmates now would have been years ago sentenced to the state prison on the state dime. Now they're on our dime here locally, and they occupy a lot of bed space. Not for up to three years, like we are told. Within the first uh, 10 days of realignment when, when it took effect in, in October of 2011, I had one sentence for 12 and 13 years on consecutive sentence. L.A. counties had one sentenced up to, that's the record now, 42 years. These are jail facilities that were only built to house people if they were sentenced up to one year. Now, you're given a certain amount of money from
2: the County Board of Supervisors to... Police. I mean, people think about the Sheriff's Department, they're policing. They want to stop crime. Well, it's not
3: just policing. Right. The, the, the My That's department has responsibilities compared to the police departments of not only doing policing, and about 2,000 of our employees are directly involved in field operations, so it's a pretty good size agency all by itself. But I also have legal responsibility, unlike the police departments, to own and operate a county jail service that takes care of everybody, whether it's the Highway Patrol making arrest. We book right now about 60,000 adults, the population of a pretty good-sized city, every year in Riverside County's jail system. But that is something that I have no way to get out of. The board doesn't have any get out of. We have to perform that. That's a county legal responsibility. Not for the cities, but the county must. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, I also attend the courts, not only on civil service, but I have to secure all some 90 courtrooms spread across Riverside County. And then the corner piece. So I have multiple pieces that right. makes it very expensive and very complex, not just the policing component. And
2: so so holding the bag for the California state prisons doesn't make your job any easier.
3: No. In fact, it's caused us a lot of grief in Riverside County. And why this is important to your listeners, and it, our county is similar to other counties that are undergoing the same stress, is that it, ca- it, it kissed off the problem from the state on the backs of the county jails. In Riverside County's case, it was already too small a jail system. And like my analogy of having a full glass of water and dropping more water, we are hemorrhaging in our county, fed kicks. So that very problem that we're talking about not holding people accountable on lower level offenses has become very, very bad in Riverside County. We literally, in our county, only keep the worst of the worst in custody because that's all the space that I've got. And And these words are careful. The best of the worst are released prematurely. And the courts have made me the ultimate responsibility, not the rest of the criminal justice system. But the federal courts have directed me and the prior sheriffs, if Stan, if you're too filled up, you do not have the legal authority to hold anybody more than you've got bed capacity for. You gotta play Solomon and you gotta make a forced choice and kick one of them out. And over time, all the easy choices were used up. I hear all the time about gee, it's marijuana and and why don't you kick out all the marijuana smokers and the high ju- nobody's you know, getting arrested Jaywalkers for that. and stuff like that they're not in custody in our jails right, right. <laughs> they're not even getting arrested only the worst of the worst are in custody in California jails for the most part yeah. violent criminals which which is
2: another reason those of you who are quality citizens out there should get your CCW look at first segue here hey you are in charge of your department' is in charge of issuing concealed weapon permits for those people who are qualified for that. So can you give us a little bit of your idea of your philosophy in that direction?
3: Well, as we were talking in the, in the Andy room, I've been involved in the firearms thing for, for a long time, starting out even before law enforcement as a reloader and and shooter, and at one time a little bit of a hunter. Most of the time now my stuff is on steel targets now with the SAS stuff like we were talking about. So I've been around firearms a lot. Earlier on in my career, we frequently would stop people on the ranches and so on with with rifles in their back window of their pickup. So I'm not uh, I'm kind of the older generation on that, where they don't get uh, I don't get frightened about that. So when I came to office, uh, there were some issues in our, in our county, and um, most of the folks that were close to us, including the NRA leadership knew full well that we we had a little bit of a problem we got mixed a little bit too closely with the uh, orange county and recently you saw the la county issues on that as well badges and stuff like that but i inherited ccw's uh, files that did not have a shred of paper in them so the first couple of years um, it was a little bit of a, a and we brought it all up to speed statewide
2: i, I thought the good old boy
3: no, you know, the it was alive. Did, didn't and, even have yeah. a,
2: Didn't even have a file.
3: But, but you know, to our credit, uh, the department uh, did not revoke all those. We just brought them all up to speed and, and got everything uh, uh, concurrent with with statutory authority in California. And then at that point, which uh, is what
2: you're held liable to.
3: Yes, and that's what I'm subject to by public records requests and audits and everything else. Uh, and so what I what I end up doing is after the first two year cycle, when we brought them up to standard, I pretty much open the spigot and I wherever I go since i've been in office i've encouraged people good people can end up and the great myth out there that i heard was well you got to be a jeweler or you got to end up depositing night deposits of 100,000 that's all malarkey and it's been malarkey Every good wait, citizen wait, wait. could That's, end up. <laughs> that was on
2: a Calguns forum. It has to be true.
3: No, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, it's I, I kinda like Elvis is alive. That type of stuff.
2: Uh, Elvis was on Calguns. Hey, uh, anyway, and I, I enjoy Calguns. I'm just teasing them. But folks, this is Philip Name Firing Line Radio Show here with Sheriff Stan Sniff. We're going to come back on our last
5: segment talking about CCWs. Um, you just heard a little bit of it here. We'll be right back after this. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. Visit ccwsafe.com today.
0: AM 590, the answer.
1: This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics.
0: Are you not entertained? Are you not
2: Hey, folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on our Facebook page, Firing Line Radio Show, or online at Firing Line Radio. Um, I have Sheriff Sniff here, and and, uh, my good friend Vince Torres, also from Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, and we're talking about CCWs. Now, we hear a lot, and I was bagging a little bit on the Cal Guns, just because I, I, I see some guys making comments that are just wrong. We have... In my listening area between San Bernardino County and Riverside County, we have the most pro Second Amendment sheriffs you could ever hope for. These are guys who are shooters themselves. They understand the industry. They understand the background. They understand your rights as constitutional officers. If you have a problem with a sheriff not issuing, you need to talk to LA County. You need to talk to Gates over in San Diego County. That little law about, or the lawsuit Peruta. That was about the Sheriff of San Diego County, okay? That's where you need to focus all of your angst, because these guys are doing their best. Um, Chefson, if you mentioned earlier off the air about your approval rate for CCW applications.
3: Yeah, we do pretty well. Probably on the order of 97%, 98% get approved. So I hear a lot of stuff about good cause, and we do actually in our county to to meet the uh, the the details of the statutory uh, requirements,
2: which is not your requirement, it's the state requirement.
3: It is, but it it is my discretion. But I, I think the the point I got is twenty five hundred people nearly, at this point have have figured out it's pretty not difficult to do. We will not give a permit to every single individual, but when you're approving at that rate, that's about as virtual shell issue as you can get but i still have a responsibility and the public expects me to use due diligence and vet people very carefully that are going to carry loaded concealed firearms into the public place and your your listeners probably are aware of it but some of them that are new might not be aware of it you don't need a ccw or carry concealed weapons permit to own or, or carry, own a firearm obviously in your in your home or place of business or to carry it concealed the statute applies on on carrying a, a loaded concealed weapon when you move into the public place, on our roadways, into the sports parks, into the market, and that sort of thing. And that's where you run afoul of the law unless you've got a, a carry concealed weapons permit. In California, it's a little bit complicated because we banned open carry. And so that's been a frustration, and that's a legitimate frustration. But those are legal issues that are going to have to be sorted out in the courts. But there is no reason that good people can't end up qualifying. But as I said, in those 2,500 permits, no two of those good causes are exactly the same. So what that's signaling to you is we accept accept a very I can't write their good cause for it. We ask them to tease it out. All good cause is fundamentally self protection or self defense. We um, all I'm get sorry, that. You repeat
2: that again, please.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all good cause is fundamentally about self defense or self protection. What we ask is to tease that out a little bit rather than just using simply those words. And of course, the other component is not just good cause, but it's also good moral character. And so, well, it that's is the only a,
2: thing you can issue on.
3: Well, you can issue on both. And so what we do is the the combined impact of both those together under the statutes. It is the discretion of the sheriff or the police chief for the resident to issue under those criteria. And so it all varies. Some of them have a very harsh criteria, like some of the counties and and jurisdictions that you mentioned. In our case, uh, I'm the victim uh, uh, of—I work with great police chiefs and great police departments, but most of the city police departments do not want to issue— so in my county, I'm bearing the brunt of all 2.4 million, even though a million live in cities where the police chiefs could clearly issue. And their question to me is, "Stan, why should I? Uh, I have to pull people off the street to do that processing." Well, that's what the sheriff of the Riverside County also has to do. But I think it's important. And as I mentioned in as a side there, if they we would our backlog is pretty severe after uh, December 2nd the terrorist incident out here. Everybody that procrastinated suddenly wanted, so we've had right. a huge rush. And those that have been following our budget battles in Riverside County know that I'm under severe duress, a $40 million cut this year, and and looking at even a bigger cut next year. I'm pulling people off the street. So for me to actually pull people off the street and lose them and and transfer them into CCWs, uh, I just can't beef it up at this point. But we're going to do the best we can. and. I think at some point this will break open, and we're slowly chipping away at our backlog. And it, my commitment to the public is we're going to still do it. But it would be a big help if others would issue.
2: Well, I think and, at, and, you at know, least you should be able to – sorry about that.
3: And,
4: and that's okay. In, in my store, I'm probably guilty for, for at least 25 customers that I know of that they would come to my store and they say, oh, man, they don't give they don't give CCW in Riverside County. And they go, who told you this? I read it here, read it there, blah, blah. blah. And those people have come back and actually say, hey, I got my CCW. So I'd always tell them, do your due diligence, go to the website, read up what it says on there, do exactly how it says on the website. And you get, your, sure, you got to wait whatever it is, six months, a year, whatever the case might be. If you're not going anywhere... Just go ahead and apply and go through the process, and if you qualify, which all the customers that I know of do qualify, they come back and says, "Guess what? I got my CCW," and right. and they're good people and they're people uh, that should own a should have a CCW. At ninety seven,
2: ninety eight percent approval rate. If you don't have one, you haven't applied.
3: That's, That's right. exactly right. And most of the folks that we hear complaints about don't live or or gone through the process here in Riverside County. Mm-hmm. Our CCW unit and, and we've. Had to, at least one retirement. I get nothing but kudos wherever I go from right. anybody that's been in it. Mm-hmm. The only the only problem we've had is after December second. It used to be about on the order sixty to ninety days was a normal cycle time to from from processing. If you did everything correctly, now if you if you screw up and don't do some of the components of that's it, on that's you. on you exactly. But most of them were sixty ninety days, and it's maybe as fast as maybe thirty thirty five days. Really, depend on the live scan return. So, But that takes a lot of effort to line up all the ducks in one row, but there, there is no reason. It's been bad after December 2nd just because we had everybody come out of the, right, the, the woodwork.
2: Now, one of the things in California, I had a gentleman, a California Rifle Pistol Association, Rick Travis. He had to do a live scan for his Orange County um, CCW, and he had to do one for a, for a license that he had. And here's what we found out. For his license, I think it was less than a week he was approved through live scan through his DOJ live scan for his CCW. Cause they wouldn't use the same one. It was almost nine months. So, the California, in case you haven't figured this out yet, is not a Second Amendment friendly state. The people in the Department of Justice are appointed; they are hired with the same mentality. I mean, we just got rid of Kamala Harris, and who we get? We got Becerra. I mean, it's it's there. And before that, we had Jerry Brown. Uh, you know, this is not exactly a pro Second Amendment friendly state. So they're not going to build a system that's going to effectively uh, guarantee your rights. And and they are using the live scan as a pinch point and so it makes it makes sheriffs look bad well, why do why does it take so long well because we submitted it and nine months later the state has not approved you yet it's not the sheriff it's part of the process that people don't realize is happening
3: right and it's it i think it's gonna you're you touched upon a key point this state is very anti-firearm and so yeah we get the, that <laughs>
5: yeah,
3: one of the the and, and so my constituency even in riverside county i, I have people most people are just moderate and want us in public policy to use good sense and not just hand things out at a street corner like like concealed weapons permits. But so but I have a very strong following among the, the firearms community, especially those that know and, and work closely with us. But boy there's also a huge contingent even in my own county they're anti gun and, and beat the sheriff up uh, for just being a hack for the for the NRA and some of these other things. And most folks know that about the uh letter that i wrote against uh, feinstein's assault weapons ban a few years ago it went viral on that but i got a lot of political blowback i had people that yanked their endorsements of me they were in high political office because believe it or not the state has a lot of liberals in it so what our department tries to do (laughs) and what my policies have been is to support firearms thing but i have to live in a real world too of of being supportive of everybody and using due diligence
2: And, and i think you do that one of the one of the other laws that have passed here um has to do with ammunition purchases and registration and gearing up for that Vince you've kind of taken a look at some of the things you can do in your store for that
4: right yes um if and when that law takes effect uh hopefully (laughs) never but you, you just gotta be aware as a consumer out there don't wait for the last moment so uh reloading uh if you don't know anything about reloading you can go and there's a bunch of forums you're welcome to come to my store i have a couple of guys that work there that are reloaders i um uh, i just got in the a projectiles bullets however you want to word it uh uh to re- for reloaders i have a lot of powder now which company was that again they're extreme bullets. They're extreme that's the gilded lead yes so they're very uh, really very
2: inexpensive
4: yes they are very inexpensive and uh I had to buy a good chunk to make my price go down so that way you guys can have a a good price on your end uh, for reloading because that's the cost is where it's it's at. So start right now, uh, learn, uh, get a buddy, start learning how to reload because if and when this law passes about the ammo control, that's what I'm going to call it, uh, you're going to have to start reloading in order for you to have enough rounds. If you are a... A competitive shooter. If you're just one of those guys that go out shooting once in a blue moon, you'll be fine. But if you're a competitive shooter, you're going to yeah. have to start reloading to stay competitive in that industry. So right one- now, by ammo. My ammo's coming down in price. I have been doing sales. And just log on to my website, log on to my Facebook, uh, download my app. There's going to be a lot of ammo that I'm going to be running on sale just because it's it's available right now and I don't want you guys to wait till the last minute to come in and buy a case and scream at me because that's the last case I have left.
2: We would, as Second Amendment gun people, we would never wait till the last minute and do that. <laughs> Folks, I want to thank my special guest, Vince Torres from Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo and Sheriff Stan Sniff. Sheriff, it was great to meet you. I enjoy what you do. I love your stance and we want to be as supportive as you as we possibly can. Yes. Thank
1: Folks, you. Folks,
2: thanks. Have a great weekend. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk.
1: The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. The Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. CCW Safe. Mop and Financial Advisors. Cutting-edge Bullets for when you care enough to send the very best. Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino. By Evolution Sports in Redlands. And Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics.